Welcome to the inner world of filmmaking. I'm your host, Tammy McGarrow. I'm a writer, director, editor, and a podcast producer. In this show, I will interview filmmakers in all facets of production and distribution. I have the magnificent and multi-talented Rachel Hastings, who will be talking about being a documentary and now film DP. Welcome, Rachel. So happy to have you on the show. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. So I met you through Craigslist. So this is kind of a funny story. And you were buying my light set and we got to talking and we were talking about films and stuff and that we're both LGBTQ. So that was kind of a cool connection. And that's where I wanted to say is that's where any situation can be a networking situation that can bring you opportunities because next we we've worked on a couple of projects together. Exactly. Yeah, because uh, the film industry is very much fueled by recommendations and and who you know. So someone was like, I need a really good editor. So, oh, I know one. And so I always, when I meet cool people, I always try to recommend them and hook people up. And then sometimes people return the favor and I end up with more work and networking. I, Craigslist, I would not have expected. Yeah. And you were coming down from LA. I mean, you had just moved down here. It was COVID time. So it was kind of like uh, interesting. And now you're like going in between. Yeah, I'm like, I'm like 50-50, really, San Diego and Los Angeles. Yeah, but I was kind of starving to meet film people as well because I missed it. I mean, it was COVID, so everybody was feeling alone and isolated. <laughs> and so it was. we'd been through a big chunk of the COVID time, and I was like, oh, I just, I need, I just want to get some gear and see what's out here and get um, creating some stuff. You know, and it was just an extra bonus that you were cool and a filmmaker and a female filmmaker. And then LGBTQ, it's your, your cat gave you away, Rat, ratted on you. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I guess I'm checking all the boxes here. <laughs> yeah. I was like, whoa, cool. You know, sometimes whatever that is, fate or, you know, the stars aligning or, what, or whatever, something happened and uh, we ended up connecting and... Hopefully, it's just the beginning of a lot of cool things in the future. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into the film world? So I got into the film world by stealing my dad's VHS camera and shooting projects. He had like a shoulder mount VHS camera and stuff, which I thought was so cool and editing tape to tape. And then I would uh, requests of my teachers if I, instead of doing just a written report could I do a film or a written report and a film and my films were very intricate with roping people in to act in them and costumes my mom was a customer for the ballet so we had access to really good costumes period costumes and things like that and scripts and horses because my mother also had horses and so they, I would do these lavish productions that weren't shot very well, but I was, I was learning. And then, so that's kind of how I got into it, bridging from theater in, into that. And then I decided I wanted to go to film school because I realized that there were a lot of issues in the world and people were watching movies and watching TV and watching news. And I thought, well, this is really the place to be heard. So then I, I ran away to film school, gave up science scholarships. My family was very, very upset about that. Yeah, so I went to Nashville. I was in Michigan, so I went to Nashville, Tennessee, which was the closest film school I could find that was an all-film school with no science classes, so I couldn't get roped into science again because I didn't want to be a scientist, but that's the 
push that I was being the direction I was being pushed in because I had I had won a bunch of awards for environmental science, which is cool and still something I care about. But you know, I'd gotten like awards from the president of the United States and all this kind of stuff, and it was like in the newspaper and blah blah blah. So there was a lot of expectation that you are going to be this a scientist or in politics. Uh, some work for the I had job offers from the EPA and stuff like that. I didn't see that being super effective. I've been to, uh, effective. I'd been to Washington D.C. many times, and I, I saw politicians having a hard time. I saw large organizations having a hard time getting done what they wanted to get done. Um, and I thought, well, what would really help is making a movie about all this stuff, making films about it all. And I liked writing as well, but books are are just not having the impact that they used to. Not that that's right, but it's just the world that we're in is becoming so multimedia. Mm-hmm. And so that's the direction I went in. Then started in the film industry, got up to Los Angeles, started in the film industry, didn't know quite what I wanted to do in the film industry, ran into some really crazy scenarios, fell in love with being behind the camera. Nobody took any female behind the camera seriously then. That was just a really big uphill battle. But then I got offered the chance to go work for nonprofit organizations and shoot documentary style stuff around the world. You know, if you show up in, in you know, Nepal or... Liberia or something with a big camera, you're the camera person. Nobody's questioning whether you're male or female or whatever you're doing. You know, there's, it's not the film, it's outside the film world. So it was more accepting of a woman doing a technical role like camera and lighting. Did that for many years and then quit. Uh, and two weeks later, we went into COVID because I wanted to do, I missed the narrative world and the narrative and commercial and stuff like that. Right. Well, I just want to say uh, about you is, I feel like you're a genius. You know a lot about a lot of things. Like she's the jack of all trades, master of many. You're brilliant. I mean, you know, we have a problem on set. You're like, okay, let's work that out. And it might not even be about film. Or I mean, about the camera. I mean, you're always brainstorming. You're just a really talented person. And also you write as well. I mean, you know, um, I've heard some of your stories that I think are going to be great if you turn those into film projects. Um, and the other thing was, is I just wanted to kind of go back to your documentary work. It's a run and gun. It's a very different breed. Can you tell me the transition between, first we should start on, how does a DP work on documentary films? What's the difference between that and filmmaking? It's very different. I mean, some documentaries are starting to be done more filmic in style with a more film production style. Documentaries, when they're not being done in a film style, in a cinematic style, which most are not, are very run and gun. And what that means is you have a small crew. You still need to do all the things that get done in a film set. You still need to eat and and even more because you got to figure out where everyone's going to sleep because a lot of times you're out of town. Most of the time you're in some other city or country. So you got to be able to just pick up and go. You can't – you will miss moments too. You're not working with actors. So I worked on a project – Recently, that was documentary style TV, um, and it's a program that was being done as a pilot for Showtime. And we had we were blending both worlds, and we had the cinematic equipment, but we went out to shoot the people that were hanging out and whatever and doing their thing. And everyone was turning and looking at the cameras because we had a big uh, Sony FX9 with a big professional cinema style zoom lens and an easy rig, you know, that backpack you put on and there's like thing that goes over your head and it's like, you just are so obvious. Right. So I said, Hey, let me try with my little, my little camera. Let me just get the black magic. And I, I'm very casual, very chill. And 
it's small and sometimes people think you're taking photos but it was really in in those moments where we needed the people just being themselves it's almost like wild wildlife photography <laughs> but but people people will also sometimes see the camera and just just lock up because you're not working with actors. Actors see a big camera and they're like, hey, they light up and they're all into it. Regular human beings, which are sometimes saying very personal or difficult or intimate things, sharing them with you in their interviews and stuff, sometimes having a bunch of cameras and a bunch of lights and a big setup, sometimes it works against you. It makes people nervous. Sometimes it makes you too noticed and you you just miss real moments. So it's kind of, uh, we kind of needed both. So then we went and used the big stuff for the formal interviews and for shooting the concerts where it worked great because you can, with the bigger equipment, better lenses and all the bells and whistles and a big matte box and a follow focus and all that stuff, you can do more. You are limited when it's just uh, in, in of some things you can do, like there's more buttons on the outside of the camera. So you can, you have more control and it's really key to find the right system and the right equipment for your project and the way you want to tell your project because showing up with all the big movie gear, it's slow. It slows you down. You need enough people. You need enough time. And in low-budget independent films, in documentaries, often you can't do that. Because, I mean, you go to Europe, your gear doesn't fit in the vehicles. They don't have minivans. Like, there's a few, but you, it's it's really not easy to drop into Europe and rent a minivan. They're like, this is our biggest vehicle. So your equipment has to be small. You're jumping, try flying around within Europe. Uh, we got hit with 4,000 euros excess baggage on one flight once. And we had three cases of equipment. We flew into India with no clothes or toiletries, except for what we were wearing. We left it all with somebody we knew in, in Paris and and flew in and bought stuff there because we were like, well, we need the gear. We can't get the gear there. So it's just, there's all these things that make it impossible and you'll miss moments and you'll, you'll miss things. And a lot of times it's just, it's just me. And I'm sometimes I'm camera lighting and audio. And uh, sometimes I'm working with a person who just doesn't know about much about filmmaking. So I'm maybe they're directing or, you know, I'm shooting for them, but I have to now talk about coverage and this and that and all the basic stuff. So the plus side and that you, you saying, oh, I'm, I know all these things and is kind of probably because as a survival tactic, I had to learn how to do all these different things. And I also love taking crew that weren't super experienced and giving them a chance, people that were in a minority in filmmaking and giving them a chance. So I had to learn how to do all the different things so I could teach them how to do all the different things so I could be running around with an inclusive team and, you know, things like that. So you're always problem solving in film, but you ha usually have a big team. When you're on a documentary and you're problem solving, you don't have, it's not like being in LA where you just, oh, we forgot this thing. There's like a bunch of stores where you can go and buy it. Well, drop into, into Kenya and be eight hours away from the city and your lighting guy shows up and he forgot to bring all the bulbs for all the lights. What are you going to do? And you have to do green screen talking head interviews and you have to do this and you have to do that. Well, we figured it out. We used clamp lights and light bulbs and the sun and mirrors and we, you figured it out. But that, that was not a fun situation to go through. It's nerve wracking. But um, on the, at the end, you're like, oh, I can solve anything. 
Like, I just, you know, you just have to be determined and you have to keep your energy up and, and, and like kind of throw energy at it and not give up and you can solve any problem and do and do anything. Not that you should operate that way, but, you know, do- documentary stuff is definitely something I recommend people go out and shoot because I do see filmmakers coming out of film school and they're, they're not very versatile or very functional and they, they're taught in this film school system they're taught how films are made if you have $100 million or $120 million. And that's not what you're going to work on when you just right. got out of film school unless your uncle is somebody really – you know, it's just – that's not real. So they're trying to, like, work in this unrealistic unrealistic way. And then I see people coming from the other side who didn't go to film school, and they're like, I'm just going to make movies because equipment's affordable. And they're coming in. And they're making, they're trying to do the kind of do the opposite and just have no crew or I'll just hire one experienced person. And, and they're trying to do this huge narrative story and it just doesn't work. Like they, their sound is trash or they're, you know, they, they don't shoot angles. So you can't edit the thing, like, you know, and they're just making these um, kind of ridiculous mistakes. So you can't, you kind of have to be somewhere in the, in the middle, I think, to, to make things work and just also pick a project that you can do like don't come at your first film and do like a sci-fi action film set on Jupiter unless you have connections you know and it's 130 pages long and it has 84 characters and you know it's just like it's not it's it's gonna not turn out well or you're not gonna get it done and then you're gonna be sad or frustrated or learn the basics and find something you can do. And then because different, there are projects that I can do and I can shoot it by myself. There is documentary stuff, not really so much narrative, but there's, there are projects where you can be like, just hire me and I will do the camera and the lighting and I will do the sound. And it's fine. I would prefer to have other crew <laughs> always uh, with me, you know, but I, I think I, I feel a minimum team is three people, even for documentary stuff like bare minimum, really, to, to be able to do something nice. But there's narrative projects that can be done with a really small crew. But there's a lot of projects that are not going to be able to be done to a good result or to a good product. Or, you know, you Tammy, you see these things come across your desk. You know, they're just not editable. Right. And yeah. that's that's a bummer. Yeah, yeah. It's sad because, you know, when you're spending all that time and you get all this crew to be on a project with you, and then the end result is you don't finish your film. That's really sad on everybody's part. But also, it can make other people not really want to work with you in the future. Because of that, if you can't finish a product. And I was just thinking two things is one is that your documentary experience is probably... definitely help you. I've seen you on set go, we need to have cutaway shots, because people don't always think about that. They're only thinking about capturing the main actors, but they're not thinking about the hand nuances, the cup, the whatever's on the table. And you do an excellent job at that. I saw that at, on Alan's shoot. Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes uh, people are also um, filmmakers are casting they don't have a budget, so they want eager actors. And e- actors need to go on projects and do their first things and stuff. But learn about continuity. If you are a director, you have to know continuity. If you are an actor, you have to know what continuity is. And I have 
seen several projects come through where I want to support the project because I want to support inclusive cinema. And I go, I want to give these people a chance who have not been given a chance by the traditional film industry. And maybe they have a cool concept. And they'll bring in actors who are eager and willing, and they have no idea that what they're, if they don't duplicate their motions, their scene is completely uneditable. They'll have a cup jump into their hand and not be in their hand. And then, you know, so there's not that much that you really have to know as an actor, but you work with a professional actor and they'll, they'll hit their mark from seeing the lights that you have set up because they know where they're lit and they'll duplicate their actions every single time. And these are just simple little basic things you have to know. And if you are making one of your first films or a beginning film, if you have bigger scenes, hire actors that know that know how to act on on film. And if you're an acting teacher, why are you not teaching continuity? These guys, these are actors who are in acting class, and they've been doing years of acting class. And for some reason, their teacher is teaching them miser technique or whatever, which is great. They can maybe they can cry on command. They're not even bad actors, but they are unusable because they make themselves uneditable. And it doesn't take that long to learn it and figure it out. But for some reason, it's like, whew, it's, it gets completely overlooked. And cutaways helps because I'm going, that's my me going, okay, well, the actor can, if the actor does something goofy, that it might not be the best editing choice. You're tying the hands of the editor, but at least they can edit it because you got to, now the person's holding the cup in the other hand. If you cut away that's okay it's acceptable well and also rehearse 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 your actors over and over and over the same scene so that the actor can nail oh at this point I pick up the wine I drop it off here at this line just uh, because then you'll know exactly what you need to do and you just need to replicate that over and over but just know your marks like you're saying and stuff so sometimes the People don't want to don't want to rehearse or they, there's some ideas that rehearsal makes it not raw or real or something like that. But if you aren't rehearsed enough, either with the director or on your own or whatever, like in some way, if you're not rehearsed enough, if you don't have the lines and the character interpretation, all your homework done, and you don't have the lines down enough, you are not going to be able to then think with continuity and blocking and all that kind of stuff it will ruin your performance so yeah whatever you need to do and then new directors whatever you need to do to get your actors to that point you know you just have to be prepared for how to how to coach coach people and stuff and then if your dp says hey this isn't going to cut or hey you need more coverage or hey you're crossing the line you should listen because uh, you know a lot of dps won't say anything a lot of DPs will just be like, some will be like, uh, yeah, that okay, if that's really what you want. Any good DP is going to tell you, like as a DP, you have to be thinking with lighting, you have to know a bit about acting, you have to be thinking with editing. Well, I think with any position, and I've talked to a lot of people, and it seems like more and more of us are multifaceted within different positions, we've done different positions. So take a seat with the editor and see what they're doing. Talk to the DP, see what they're doing or what they're thinking about. Directors, I mean, I think you should really be involved in everything just to know how it works um, and what everybody needs, including makeup. Like I just had um, Amy Kazaza on and she was just talking about how please bring her into the pre-production. I didn't even think about that. She needs 
to work out some things and getting all the the revisions of scripts and stuff so that she can be making her notes and stuff and getting the call sheet or even working with the person, the first AD to just say, okay, wait a minute, you got two things that aren't, you know, that's going to be a nightmare for makeup, or you just need to switch it around. But you know, it's just those things. It's communication, speak up, but speak up to the right person. That's the other thing is, you know, I know that there's a chain of command. Correct. Yeah, there's a chain of command. And you want to speak up to the right people. And you don't, you don't need to be like, if someone doesn't know what they're doing, but they're trying, you can pull them aside and speak to them. You don't have to tell everybody. You know, that's not necessary. You will be successful if you put key personnel in each area that have experience and know what they're doing and you can you have good communication with them. Sometimes people are great and they're just not great together. Yeah. You're like a family when you're making a film, you know, and sometimes people just don't work well together. Right. You know, and, and that goes for the pre-production, production and post-production. You need people to kind of vibe together, ideally. At least that's better right. <laughs> for everyone. But yeah, bring people in in the pre-production process. Like I was on a shoot last week and we were waiting three hours for makeup because it just wasn't scheduled in. We were done with lighting and cameras were set, everything. But the hair and the makeup, they had scheduled all these women with these elaborate hairdos and that's what it took to get a professional quality product and we made it work and and we hustled and it was all fine in the end but yeah people forget and then planning you know do your pre-production do your planning the more you plan the more you have things figured out the better it is but if you're super low budget you got to get creative about it because you know you're you're also trying to get people to do tons and tons and tons of pre-production work and you're not paying for it if you're paying a reduced rate because I'm doing this as a passion project. I can't afford to not work, you know, spend a ton of time on on planning. I just literally can't afford it because this is expensive and DP spend all their money on gear. Right. So think about that and, you know, try to balance things and you know, and also if you're just trying to learn, you know, and you want to, you want to just shoot some stuff for fun, grab friends, grab, a, you have a friend who has a black magic camera, I guarantee you, no matter where you are, you know, somebody, even if you're in like the wilderness of some other country, <laughs> somebody's got a black magic camera, <laughs> get a tripod, please. And, you know, shoot stuff with friends and get actors who don't know what they're doing yet and read stuff and study and learn about continuity and try to shoot a scene with coverage and continuity and then get on your computer and edit it yourself. You will learn so much. And you don't need me for that. You don't need to hire anybody for that. Do that a bunch of times if you haven't gone to film school, you know, because that's your that's your your film school thing. Uh, you know, replicate scenes from movies just for a learning experience, you know. It's super valuable and then critique it and look back at it and be be hard on yourself in the privacy of your own home and figure out, well, what can I do to get better? And and then go and hire some people and, and make something that you're going to spend some money on. Because unfortunately, this industry, co- it costs money. Even though it costs less money than it used to, because we don't have to shoot everything on 35 millimeter film, it still costs money. And don't forget any of the departments, including art. I have refused several jobs because they weren't bringing in anyone in art. Hmm. And it's just, I, I could be the best cinematographer in the world. I cannot make four blank white walls in a small room with no art direction look like this amazing thing. You know, I could do a, sh- a shot where I could turn a wall a different color and do something funky, but to shoot a whole scene and like, and that people are wearing 
wrinkly crappy clothes or clothes that don't fit the character and you know then you've got a bunch of stuff your film's never going to go anywhere because you got art in the walls that can't be cleared so festivals won't pick up your you know like big festivals won't take you seriously it's like there's all kinds of stuff like you need somebody in art like at least over that that area who's doing production design and art direction for you it's so key like i i would rather come in by myself and do the camera and lighting all myself and have you bring someone <laughs> in art because if when when there's a fantastically art directed space it's so easy to make it look amazing right it's incredible and they have to be involved in pre-production and you need to give them a little bit of some budget give them like something and yes you can help and you can bring props yourself too and yes they're there to execute your vision as a director or producer but it's so vital, and I see it completely forgotten about. That's a good point. I didn't even think about that. Now, what kind of gear do you have? I used a production company's gear for many years, so I didn't have to own gear. So I just started buying things during COVID. I'm kind of not sure which camera I want. I'm watching some different things come out, and I'm, I'm pretty format agnostic like I don't I don't think there's only one good camera some people are like oh Sony's terrible and some people are like only Sony and some people are like only Aerie and so I've been doing projects on Canon like C300s and C500s on Alexa Mini on Alexa Mini LF on all different kinds of reds uh, so I have uh, different people that I work with so like I have gear that I will basically rent from friends so I can work with anything um, I own a Blackmagic 6K and a bunch of stuff and a Steadicam and a jib and some lights, some Nanlux, Nanlite lights and some aperture lights. And I have a lot of tools because I work about half the time as a DP and half the time as a gaffer or a gaffer electric or set lighting technician. Do you like both? Or? I love both. Okay. Yeah. And being a DP takes a lot of figuring things out and a lot of planning and preparation and doing lighting and backing up an awesome DP is uh, as a gaffer, there's some production, some preparation and stuff, but a lot of projects that's much more limited. And also I can just go and shoot and be done at the end of the day. So I can't mentally like for my own mental health, I can't deal with DPing all the time. It's just too, it's too much. And lighting is, one, it's all about the lighting. If you have awesome lighting, that's like, <laughs> right. It's, I think it's more important than the camera. I think the lenses are more important than the camera. I think the lighting is more important than the camera. On, honestly, like it's, if you have art and like art direction and, and lighting, you could pull out a VHS camera. It's still going to look pretty cool. It's going to be low res and funky, but I think that stuff's more important. So I like all the different cameras for different reasons and on different projects you know yes. the if you're getting started black magic is such a good bang for your buck you, you just get some really cool quality really like good quality for just like it, uh, 10 years ago i wouldn't have believed it unthinkably low prices the 4k and the 6k are really cool but if someone's like yeah let's use an alexa mini lf or a Venice 2, I'm definitely going to choose that, you know. <laughs> right. I did a doc thing in D.C. I, I couldn't have flown there all by myself and done camera and lighting and sound, sound like running around. We were walking 10 miles a day all over Washington, D.C. I couldn't, couldn't have done that with a bigger camera. 
maybe the red Komodo, but it's not it's not as as versatile. I could have used a Sony FX6 or something like that. That would have been great too. But uh, those bigger cinematic cameras are not set up for like, let's run sound into the camera and let's, you know, let's right. just, let me just throw it on my shoulder. Let me just run. Let me run and gun. They're just not totally set up for that. So they don't, they just don't work out as, as well for those scenarios. So that's kind of what I try to own is my like grab and go. Mm-hmm. I do want to get a better, a better camera, but I'm seeing, you know, Venice 2 just came out and I'm kind of seeing what people are doing. The Komodo's interesting and, you know, it's, there's so many great cameras. It's kind of just seeing what, yeah. And it's so easy to just, you can also rent anything. If you can make it to LA, you can get anything on ShareGrid. ShareGrid is a fantastic resource because it's just a bunch of us production people sharing our stuff. Oh, wow. For low prices. And you don't have to have separate insurance. You just pay for insurance through uh, ShareGrid's insurance company. You pay per day for the equipment to be insured. That's cool. Yeah, very cool. And now you were saying on a documentary, you should have a minimum of a three crew. What would be the crew positions? Well, it depends on the nature of the documentary. But um, we and I had different crews with three people, and we would sometimes split it up different ways based on what people were good at. But usually I had one person that was helping me with logistics, getting everybody's food, basic hair and makeup because even if a person comes in to sit down for an interview and they like look they need help they look a mess they need their hair they want their hair curled or they want you help them pick their outfit for the interview because they're like oh i'm in a t-shirt and whatever (laughs) with tweety bird on it that really happened oh gosh yeah giant tweety bird and it's like okay we're gonna you know then i had somebody who could be like just is just artsy and good and artsy and organized so that kind of person it would just help with that and checking on the plane tickets and the flight reservations and the do we have a car booked and stuff? So I would be like responsible for that, but they would be helping me execute all that. And then I would have a second person that would do uh, lighting, like grip and lighting, G&E, mm-hmm. who I always would either get someone who could shoot or train them how to shoot as well. So I could, because I think two camera is, I think all interviews need to be done with two cameras at least. Um, and B-roll works a lot better with two cameras. If you're shooting with two cameras, and you have non-actors or inexperienced actors, two cameras are really helpful because your continuity is the same between one camera and the other camera. So just make sure that one camera is tight and one camera is wider. So And you're never right, right, right next to each other. You stay like 15 degrees or more apart. Um, different heights or, uh, is also can be good because that makes it cut without jump cutting. And, and and people aren't going to do continuity when they're doc- doing documentary stuff. But that also helps on independent films and low-budget films and stuff too. So, yeah, so there's that person that I would usually do be in charge, like artistically in charge of the lighting, setting up the cameras. And usually I would end up doing sound myself. If I was lucky, I would get a sound person. But I did a bunch of training on sound so that I, I'm not as good as uh, a pro-level sound person that you're going to bring in for a movie but I can do sound on interviews and I can do walk and talk sound and I can do um, nat sound as they call it, like the sound that's natural to an environment that's just happening, which is really cool to, to capture in B-roll because it can really bring things to life and kind of ground a viewer in the, in the environment. I just felt it was really important to always be making my B-roll usable sound wise and as much as possible, keep wireless mics on people and just be operating the camera with headphones on and 
have people wirelessly mic'd, have a decent mic on the camera as a backup and always get Nat sound. And then, you know, you'll have these moments where someone just has a conversation and it's just, you never would have gotten it if, if you'd planned it, you know, or they'll turn and they'll be like, blah, blah, blah. And it's just the coolest statement of the, of the whole project. So I'm always, I'm always trying to think with that and not all, a lot, again, in film, the, the camera department has nothing to do with sound. Most DPs are going to be like, sound? Like, not my thing. They're going to say, get a sound person. But a lot of productions are going to have a hard time with a sound person running around recording externally. A lot of times I will say, let's re- let's see if we can get away with it. Let's record sound into camera because they don't have the time in their workflow to, um, or the personnel in their workflow to do sync sound. Um, lower budget cameras don't time code jam. So you're having then the a lot of times it's an editor who's sitting there now trying to figure out syncing sound and people are rolling at different times and there's all kinds of issues. So if the sound is just going into the camera, at, uh, you know, if I, if, if I can, I'll have it in an external recorder as a well, but try to make it usable into the camera if you can. A lot of DPs are not going to do that, and they're not going to think with that. And definitely in a narrative world, I do not want to have to do that because it takes away your ability to uh, be creative in other ways. There's a limit to how much you can do yourself, I have learned. <laughs> yeah, no, I totally get that. I totally get that. And th- that's some good points that you're making there. Um, boy, a lot of good information. Um, now, you kind of alluded to uh, the challenge of being a female DP in a male-dominated world. How do you feel that's happening today? Do you think women are getting more opportunities? We're seeing more DPs, female DPs. It is getting better. We're not there. Camera department is ahead of lighting. Lighting is ahead of grip. The union, um, I believe uh, the grip union is 3% women, the local 80 we are we are moving ahead, but it's because people are fighting for it. Women in media has been great. They're doing awesome things, fighting and pushing, doing training programs to train women on set construction, set design, lighting, grip, camera, things like that. And it's not just a lack of women. It's a lack of inclusivity. There's, it's, it's really a white, straight, male-dominated world. And there's nothing wrong with straight white men. I love working with them. You know, there's some fantastic, amazing, wonderful people, but a set that's all that, like only that is not okay. In this day and age, it just should not be. And there's no excuse for it. It's not safe either. I was on this project yesterday. We were waiting on some food. We had this like 20 minutes of time where we uh, the next person wasn't there to to be interviewed and we were waiting for the the food to arrive. So all the women started turning around. They came to me and said, I was doing, I was being gaffer. And they the producer said, I've never seen a female in G&E. And I was like, I know it's crazy. It's like so ridiculous, but yeah. And everyone stood around and were telling their um, stories, like war stories, these uh, women. And um, this is an amazing documentary called Black Barbie. And um, so they're working to have an inclusive crew. They wanted a black female DP and they are trying to get as many women and black women and just they're just trying to get an inclusive set, you know, but 
these women all have been in the industry for many years. Nobody there was new, you know, brand new to things. Every single female had a horror story, like sexual abuse stories, Hmm. um, being told terrible things, discrimination, racism, severe, like bad stuff. Like you're you're like, everyone's like, wait, what? I mean, shockingly bad stuff in the, all from the last few years. I had a rental place find out I was a female and they wouldn't rent me a grip truck. Oh, geez. And said, go somewhere else. They didn't say it's because you're a female, but all of a sudden it was just an issue. Whereas they'll let some 18-year-old male PA drive a grip truck just first day on the job, like no problem, right? So, um, and that was like a few months ago. Wow. Just ridiculous. And uh, Women in Media Success B, she's a uh, grip. She just got into the union as a grip and she went on a show a big 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 show um i think it's at warner brothers or something and she she like sorry interviewed for it and got hired now in the union all excited first job as a union grip and the key group came up to her and said you're just a political hire to make the dp happy oh geez female dp yeah wow. that's this is a few weeks ago this is in los angeles and los angeles is is better than other cities it's it's better than san diego um, in terms of diversity, I'm the only girl in San Diego that I know of that does GNE. And I was trying to do a project where I was trying to find another female DP or camera operator in San Diego with some experience. And I was asking, I could not, I could not find anyone. I couldn't find anyone, not anyone with like actual experience in the whole county. It was like, what? you know, come on. And it's so it's pretty it's it's, things are still pretty whitewashed and things are still just it's just not inclusive. But so all these women standing around with their horror stories then started saying, well, like, okay, here's what I did on the next project. They got a guy fired because he was touching a crew member. He was touching all the women. Oh, my God. Um, And they were like, okay, there's three women on that crew. And they were that was enough to be able to say something and bring it up and get him replaced because he just thought he thought that he thought it was fine. But just one woman on that set didn't make it safe enough. Right. So, and, and what if there's um, homophobia? What if there is racism? Well, being the only queer person on the crew or the only POC person on the crew, it's not, that's not a, nice environment and it's just the greatest thing in the world when you have a crew that's all different kinds of people yeah i don't even it's not like i want to go work on projects that are only women or you know whatever it i think it's fantastic when you have all different kinds of people on the on the crew above the line and below the line and below the line gets forgotten about like well we're telling a story that's you know inclusive but we're gonna only hire these dudes to to shoot it and there's so many cool guys who are like i like this this is great and there's and there's a bunch of um honestly it's like a big part of why i'm also doing gaffer set lighting technician electric work is there are some super cool dudes with grip trucks here in san diego who are like yeah i'm gonna bring you on let's have we need a woman doing this we need a female this is cool and that's props to them because they don't have to they don't have to do that, but they are, and they're cool, and they're making the change. And I, so I think most people want the change. I think most people are cool. We just got to keep working hard and showing up and doing the job and 
you know, not being afraid to to speak up. And some people get mad when someone goes, oh, I want to hire an inclusive crew. Oh, that's discriminatory because you only want to hire people from marginalized communities or you only want to hire, you know, but I'm waiting for the day where that's not an issue. And it's not good. We have proven that it will not change if there's nobody out there making it change, if there aren't producers saying, yes, uh, you need to, you need to have inclusivity. So go, go find people. And yeah, sometimes the, the women don't, um, in, in the below the line, they don't have as much experience. You're, you're going to have a harder time finding women in G&E sound. We're out there. Um, you're going to have a little bit of a, more of a search and, you know, if you have the ability to teach and to train and to bring up the next generation of people, find somebody eager and hardworking who is underrepresented and doesn't look like everybody else and doesn't present like everybody else that you're used to working with and give them a chance because that's the only way it's going to change. Right. Well, and, uh, you know, and I'm totally with you, but I see a lot of the younger generation, especially in just jobs, they're like, that's not my job. That's not in my job description. And it's kind of like, oh, I'm, I'm from the older generation where it's like you just buck it up and you do it. And I, I think there's something to be said of that as the younger generation is maybe teaching us to go, hey, wait a minute, that's some and you're good at that, too. I mean, there was a mistake on on the set. And I just put the wrong thing in there. But you spoke up right away and said, wait a minute, that's not that's not what I was hired to do. And I was like, oh, my God, that I just had the wrong thing in there. But um <laughs> you know, mistakes do happen, but you have to speak up because I would have never known. And then had you not said something, I wouldn't have known that I made a mistake to correct it. And that's also, it's just, it's very, you know, LA does a, uh, LA productions generally will uh, like hold people's uh, job functions a little bit stronger than when you go outside of like LA, New York City. Mm -hmm. Maybe Atlanta's getting more like that. I don't know. Um, But, and that's, that can be a good thing and it can be a bad thing. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's, people were super chill about it and outside of the, like the main production zones, right? Your 30 mile studio radius (laughs) zone. But yeah, I've learned, it's been a very long journey and a long process. And Michelle also being like, Hey, speak up. Hey, don't let people just trample on you. And Hey, like say, Hey, this isn't, this isn't cool. And you know, you're not, you're, you're good. You know how to do so many things. You're, you don't need to be desperate. Like if someone is being awful, walk away. You don't need it. Yeah. You know, but for years I wouldn't. I just took this um, being treated badly. I took being hit on in work environments and inappropriate comments. And I took in a lot of homophobia, a lot of it. And, you know, I didn't say anything. And so I'm learning now to to speak up for myself and for, and for others, you know, and I'm trying mm-hmm. to speak up. To for folks who come on crew and are uh, trans and non-binary, I'm trying to be the one who who says, "Hey, my name's Rachel. My pronouns are she/her." And I've I've gone to the safety meetings and said, "Hey, I, we need to respect people's pronouns, and let's try to do that. Let's try to make this a safe space. Let's, you know." Um, and so many productions are like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah," and they want to do it. And then you'll you'll find jerks in there who you know it's just too much trouble for them or whatever they don't want to be nice because it puts them out I don't know but I'm trying to learn and I keep looking at it and I say I could be better we need to be better right I need to be better and there's so many times I should have said something or I should have spoken up or 
uh, and I didn't. But I think if we're going, I need to be better. We're going, we need to be better. Let's let's be better. Let's make this better. Let's create a better work environment. Because ultimately, we, when we're making films, we are creating art. And artists do not create their best art, I believe, uh, under duress and in a toxic, unsafe environment. Maybe some artists feel like they need angst and trauma and whatever to like write their song or whatever. But filmmaking is a group. We are getting together as a group and making art and it's technical also. And it's got all different types of people and all different types of brains are needed, but we're getting together as a group. It's like, we're all painting one painting Mm -hmm. and we have to share the paintbrushes and we have to like, we have to work together. We have to get on the same page and agree. And when all this uh, other stuff creates separation and, and negativity and, toxicity and individuals not feeling safe they're not going to sh- they're not going to shine and they're not going to do their best work even if they do something amazing cuz they're just that good and they can be in this horrible work environment and still do something great imagine what they could do if they were really backed up and everybody was backing everybody up and it was like oh i'm safe i can be me you'll make the you'll make the you'll make a better product i really believe that and and you won't feel traumatized <laughs> afterwards and you know it, it can be a good experience like oh wasn't that so great working on that project and there are a number of people trying to create those kinds of environments and it that's really appreciated i try to find the producers and and say hey thank you for for doing this that's for for working towards that and creating a this good environment i think you're going to get a better piece of art because of it. And we appreciate you. No, I totally agree. And um, it's kind of nice when you have your set crew that you you tend to work with. The only trouble is like with what you do is you are on so many different sets that it's always changing. So when you have like your local, you're doing short films, maybe you have your film crew that you just do all the same films together. It's great to have that probably like the Quentin Tarantino, you know, he always tends to hire the same people. So does Wes Anderson. I mean, just so many people that make consistently similar theme movies. Or I mean, not the Coen brothers, the Coen brothers using Roger Deakins. Yeah. I mean, and I think there's something to that, that when you do find that, that person that can um, take your vision to the next level, you want to keep them. And, and also, it creates a safe environment because you know what they're capable of doing. The whole team can work together. So I think that there is something to that. I also wanted to say that you are excellent, excellent, excellent about networking. Um, can you give our listeners some advice on getting yourself out there for work and what you do? I think I need to be better at networking. <laughs> I have a, a QR code and a link on my bracelet. That's helping me. It's a thing called Link, L-I-N-Q. Oh, wow. And it was like $25 for a QR code and a bracelet with a QR code and this like, um, you know, this near field thing where you put, someone can put their phone on your bracelet. Oh, um, cool. And it'll bring up a little website that you make with them. So I always just try to share information when somebody's cool. Anybody who's on set, I'm like, you are cool. You're cool. Especially if they're, um, especially if they're like camera lighting, whatever. And I really do try to 
recommend other people for jobs a lot. I am always recommending people to, for, for other jobs. And I try to be a little bit, especially if it's a good project and I can tell we have a good set of people at the top. They're really trying to, they really believe in it. They're really trying to make that TV show or make that movie or whatever. I try to be a little bit invested in the project and, and not just be like, great, what's my call time? I'll show up. I, I try to be like, hey, do you need, do you need crew recommendations? I know good people. It's also because, and I'm not only recommending women on those things, I, I will uh, always recommend uh, women in the in the group if I if I can, but I'm recommending, you know, guys and girls of all different types, non-binary folks. I'm recommending all different kinds of individuals because I just feel like that's how the industry needs to be. So I'm recommending all the time. Consequently, people recommend me. And uh, so I really try to do that. Um, before COVID was such a thing, I was definitely always going to events. There's a lot of good events that get put on by Sony and Canon and stuff. There's Cindy Gear Expo. There's all that kind of thing. Yeah. And you're always inclusive. I, I think, hey, I'm going to recommend you if I think you're good. <laughs> because um, whether you're a guy, girl, gay, straight, trans, whatever, if you're good and I'm going to recommend you. And I think that that's the thing is that and like you were sharing about the DPs, I wish I knew, you know, like, I always recommend you. And I don't know any other female DPs. <laughs> it's sad. Yeah. But uh, like you're saying, there's nobody here. So when you when I met you, I was like, Oh, my God, the first DP female I've just met, you know, so it was like really cool. So I just kind of hope that more women come out and start getting in those positions so that they can get on our rosters to start promoting. Because if I knew some female sound people or, you know, whatever, I would do that. But I, you know. Yeah, I know. And, um, and I'm trying to grow that, that my roster, my, my Rolodex, right, to be retro, I'm trying to grow my Rolodex of people um, that are just cool people. And it's awesome to end up on a project and you like recommended everybody, <laughs> right? like seven people there, you know, and we do have a, a an unofficial group of queer crew. I do put hashtag queer crew, but we do have an, a group of queer crew and we, we have like a group chat and we'll throw jobs at each other all the time because it's gotten really busy. Uh, and so I've had times where I'm double booked or triple booked on the same day or the same week. And so, and there's certain people in that group who are really good about doing it, really just awesome about doing it. And we're, we're like, hey, yeah, we want to, uh, you know, who do you, you know, and they were just, uh, a, a, a fun group of people where we have some something in in common and we're all work working in camera lighting G, you know genie that kind of uh, world and so I will I I will always recommend others and I try to reach out to people and say hey how you doing and uh, social media is a good source it's kind of a necessary evil. Um, so I try to not only post pictures of my cats and videos of my cats, because it's kind of sometimes what I just want to do. But I do throw a little bit of that in there, because it's my, it's my social media. So you're, you're gonna just if you hate cats, just don't follow me. So but I do try to also like give shout outs to people in social media and post things on set. It's hard sometimes because a lot of times I have these amazing pictures I can't show. Because something's not released yet, you know, and you can't show like the pictures of the monitor or whatever. But uh, and I also like try to make that helpful. Like I'll put um, if I find out I'm geeky about equipment, camera and lighting equipment. So I try to give little recommendations. Yeah. And I think that you're really good about that because I'm always seeing you posting pictures on set and stuff. So it's like but it also shows the world that you're active and you're busy. And you're very good about connecting with people, always referring your 
like you said, I mean, with diversity and inclusiveness, you're really good at that. I mean, you helped a friend of ours out on his film. And I mean, you know, you really give back. And it's felt. People get that. I mean, you're a really good person, man. Oh. I mean, you're just really nice. And you really just want to help people out and do the best work that you can. And you do a lot of stuff pro bono. So, I mean, you know, when you really believe in a project. And, and then you brought me on to Robbie's project that was in San Francisco that you met him through social media. Yeah. But you reach out. You connect. And, and I and I was talking to somebody else on, on my podcast about, you know, you can be a part of social media groups. Facebook is great for their groups. I don't know about what else, but for the groups, Instagram seems to be where everybody's at, but in groups, it's Facebook. But you take people out of Facebook. So it's one thing to be connecting and liking people's stuff, but you got to get to know them, reach out to them, go have a cup of coffee with them, you know, find out what they do, um, because that's how you're going to really build your Rolodex. It's true. And some people are going to be weird. And sometimes you're going to do something to help someone for the super low rate or pro bono, and they're going to treat you like crap. And you're going to be like, Oh, that sucks. But, but whatever, you know, you just move on to the next thing. And other people are going to just be like, wow, and they're going to be so awesome. They're going to back you up and bring you in on stuff and give you chances. And so you can't, I don't think you get hung up on on one thing. And, you know, you can sit back and complain about there's not enough women, there's not enough diversity, there's not enough this. I want, you know, it, you know, I want to work with more LGBTQ people. I want to be on more projects. I want to let, you know, or you can start doing something about it. And I can't just sit back and complain about it if I'm not going to do something about it. So if I'm not going to bring folks on or recommend others, you know, or do what I can, then it's not going to change. But if we're all doing that, then great. And the other cool thing is that it makes people remember you because a lot of times you just need to post a picture because then people are like, going to hire and and you pop up in their feed and it's just that you get remembered you know and it's not about having the most followers it's more about having the right people you know being in the right groups and it's hard uh because it's been very busy and you know the days are really long the hours are really long but i try to also see people's work they'll post work and be like if something looks great i'm like that looks awesome or you know you are doing great or that is fantastic or wow, good, good job for getting a project done or like whatever. And I genuinely mean it because I know how hard it is right. to get stuff done and to put it out there on social media. And so I try to also comment and back people up. And I've been doing that less than I want want to have been doing it because I, I, I get tired because uh, it's been a lot of days in a row and, you know, long days. Yeah, it's not hard to do. And you kind of, unfortunately, it's the world that we live in. So it's sort of a necessary evil. You got to talk to people and you got to be a bit social and you got kind of got to have some sort of social media. Right. And I like that you do comment. I do see your comments a lot on a lot of people's <laughs> stuff. But I mean, it, support people, like their posts, you know, write something in the comments or just like their posts. I mean, um, I think that that's important. Show people love. And the other thing, um, when you said, you know, some sets, you know, you're always going to work on sets that are less than um, stellar. But I always think you meet other people on set that you can take away that had you not had that joint experience. So you're always meeting somebody. So I think every time now you may not want to work with them again, but at least you got some contacts. And it's always nice to go on set and see people that you know, it's like, Oh, my God, 
it's like a friend. It's just, it's just so cool. The community, the, the film community when you're on set with other people. It is. It's great. It's yeah. the best. So is there any in closing thoughts, anything that you want to share or suggestions for people that want to get into DP work? I think that director of photography is the, or cinematographer <clears throat> is the person over camera and lighting. So <clears throat> you really need to know both and just get out there and shoot stuff and then work hard and find someone who can show you the ropes and let you in. There's the way in through camera department going in being a second AC and then becoming a first AC and then camera operator and then moving up to uh, DP. Some people just skip it, buy their own gear and start shooting stuff. I've done every single one of these positions. I've and I've. Uh, you can come in through lighting, uh, which I think is underrated, and there's not enough women doing it. I think more women should do it because you. It's really a lot of the creativity, and yes, it is physical work and it's hard work. And if you don't want to um, lift stuff and coil cables and get um, your hands dirty, then it's not for you. Uh, I don't know that you know that's kind of a part of this industry, right? So, but really, l- lighting is where it's at. So through the lighting world, you should work, uh, you should do some stuff as a grip, um, but generally grip to DP isn't as, as common. Learn all those different positions and find someone to train you. There was a girl on the um, TV show I was just working on called For the Love of Jason, which is a really cool TV show on the, uh, doing season two on for the All Black Network. Mm-hmm. She was in, she was a PA and things are so busy. We, there weren't enough people. So she was like, I want to do Jeannie. I want to do Jeannie. So it was like, yeah. So it was enough of a G&E crew that she could move up to G&E and learn. And there's things you can't do because it's not safe. You could hurt yourself or others. She was able to start figuring things out. And if there were any moments, she's like, they're like practicing with C-stands and, you know, stuff like that. She's going to be awesome. So I recommended her to another project and I said, hey, she's brand new, but she's eager and whatever. So if you need someone and she's willing to work for a lower rate to learn and she's finding people. She was willing to come to me and be like, I really want to do this. So I'm always going to be saying, if I have any moment of downtime, like I will sit at lunch with you and talk about the right hand rule on how you, you know, use a stand, you know, like, I will sit and talk about that kind of stuff. I will chat with you before and after if you're hungry and eager. So I'm like, she is gonna go places. She just has this cool attitude. And um, that can happen really fast. You don't have to spend forever and then go on the side and have your gear. I think it's better to do that, go up through the camera department or through the lighting department and um, on the side, be shooting your own stuff, get your whatever camera you have or get with people and then DP your own, your own projects. Um, Because you're going to learn so much from the people around you and you'll find some people willing. That's how I learned. You know, I went to a guy, I said, I want to do jib. And he's like, oh, you know, we've never had a girl do that. I was like, yeah, I can do it. I can do it. And he's like, okay, why not? And he trained me. And, and then, you know, that's how I learned to to do it. But I had to, I was the one going up and asking him while I was doing live events. There was a couple days of rehearsals where most people were sitting and on their phone or reading, like just chilling. I was up there drilling, practicing, 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 practicing till I was very sore. I worked, I walked miles back and forth in a little semicircle with a jib, just practicing so I could, could do it. And I had to do, to go that extra mile to convince them. We had to trick uh, the production into letting me 
I shot a rehearsal and they th- thought it was a dress rehearsal and they thought it was him. And then afterwards he was like, how did I do? And they were like, yeah, your moves look great as always. He says, oh, it wasn't me. And it was like, they're like, oh, I guess a girl can do it. You know, there just weren't girls doing that then. Right. And there barely are now, which is ridiculous because it's not actually hard. Like a jib is balanced. You can move it up and down with your finger. It's not hard. Like you do, you may have to put a 25 or 50 pound weight on it when you're setting it up. But Usually there's a grip setting it up. Anyway, so it's just ridiculous, you know, um, these things that people think that that we can't do. So find cool people who are willing to train you. Ask them, be like, hey, can you help me get into this? And the internet is a great resource and a terrible resource at the same time. So you will find there's like AC websites, the black and the blue. There's like different podcasts and stuff, you know, find those things. But um, there's some very bad advice and some very bad tutorials that are wrong on the internet. And there's some fantastic ones. There's, um, you know, find like, oh, this is a union working gaffer who's doing a podcast or doing a YouTube channel. Like, yeah, okay, let me let me listen to him. Go do any training that you can and, you know, just keep learning and keep educating yourself and stay hungry. I've been doing this for over 15 years and I am I have so much more to learn. I'm always with the attitude of there's – there's more to learn. And I keep seeking out more knowledge and I stay hungry. And I think that is really important and really key to making it. And if you're less represented, if you don't look like the typical DP, you don't present yourself like the typical DP, you may have to work twice as hard. Um, But it's possible. You can do it. And don't go into the film industry if you want a cushy, easy job. You have to go into it because you love it and be willing to do the extra work. And Things are changing and they and they and they will change. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. This was like so enlightening. You shared a lot of information and I hope it helps some people out. I hope so. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening. I encourage you to get out there and make a film. Reach out to your local filmmakers group to get involved and connect. Please subscribe to the show if you like it, and follow me on Instagram at Tammy McGarrow. Until we meet again, what's your story? <laughs>